Flores, today for the Michigan Wolverines. No, we got one more to go. <laughs> we got one more to go. Welcome back to the latest edition of Until Saturday. I'm Ari Wasserman, and I have the fan on in my room because I am still sweating from the end of the Sugar Bowl. I'm joined by Chris Vanini. Dave Ubbin is actually at the game, and we determined later on in that game that he probably wasn't going to be ready till two or three in the morning central time. So at least, we have a yeah. sub. We have a sub. Chris, how are we doing today? Oh, my God, man. I am exhausted. I'm sweaty like you. Those were two of the craziest finishes we've ever seen in, like, postseason college football in our lifetime, and they happened back-to-back. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah, so we have a lot to get to. First, let me just formally welcome everybody to the Until Saturday College Football Semifinal Reaction. Uh, Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're here watching live right now, we certainly appreciate your presence. I know it's late at night. I know it's a weeknight. Um... And people have to get back to work on Wednesday or Tuesday or whatever day it is. Um, So we appreciate you here. Also, uh, thank you for calling in. We are getting your voicemails uh, at the Until Saturday phone line for the Sunday Sound Off episodes. We will be getting to those this week as we preview the national championship game. We are going to be talking about both games. We're going to get to the 247 talent composite. We're going to get to Michigan. We're going to get to all the things that you've been listening to all season long. And I'm super excited to dive into it. Um, One last note, please make sure to sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter where you can get your daily fill of college football news delivered right to your inbox. The links can all be found in the show's description. And if you're here on YouTube and you don't subscribe to the podcast, link again in the show's description. Leave a review. Leave a question in the review. We will try to get to it on the show. Anything you can do to interact with the YouTube channel and the podcast feed is greatly appreciated. First, why don't we start, Chris, with the Sugar Bowl? And that had to have been one of the craziest endings to a college football game that I've ever seen. And I think that if Texas would have won, it might have been the craziest ending I've ever seen. So if you are just uh, living under the rock and you're not a college football fan, I'm assuming everybody in here has listened or has watched already. But Washington was basically um, putting the game away. They they could have taken knees and, and gotten it down to like 10, 15 seconds left. They ran the ball instead. Handoff to star running back. Um, Dylan Johnson, who hurt his knee, uh, it looked like, and it seems like it could be a pretty significant injury um, on the last play before the punt was going to come, which stopped the clock, thus giving Texas a team that we thought was buried at the beginning of the fourth quarter a chance to go win the game down by six late. And um, they drove all the way down the field and ran one final play with one second left uh, from the 13-yard line. I know I didn't say this if you you know you're not listening. Michigan beat Alabama in the Rose Bowl and Washington got it done 37-31 over Texas in the Sugar Bowl so the national championship game will be Washington and Michigan, two teams who rank outside of the top 10 in the 247 Sport composite rankings. Um but first let's just break down the Sugar Bowl and then we'll get to the Michigan Alabama game later. Chris, yeah. I'm rambling, I'm excited, I'm nervous, I don't know what to talk about. I know Dude, I want to talk about that- everything. That was insane. So let's talk about that ending. So a lot of people like, why didn't Washington just kneel out the clock? Well, because if they, they couldn't kneel it out, it would, it would have been about 20 seconds or so. So they decided to run the ball three times, try to get the first down. If you get the first down, you win the game. Um, I, I can understand why they did it. This wasn't Miami, Georgia tech earlier this season. No, no. Right. And, and then Dylan Johnson gets hurt. And it's like the worst possible thing you could have happened because that stopped the clock about 47 seconds left. If Texas had won that game, that would have been the most heartbreaking loss, I think, in the history of college football to lose that way, to know you are about to go to the national championship and you not only see your star player get hurt, but it, that specific injury then may cost you the game. Just Man, that was crazy. I, did you think Texas was going to score when they had I a did, yes. couple of shots yeah. there? I thought they would, too. I thought the second that Whittington caught that pass to get him down to like the 30, that the game was over. Yeah, yeah um, I did, too. You know, and if you watch the game, Washington outplayed Texas for the majority of the second half. It was a pretty even first half. Um, Texas and Washington were both moving the ball with relative ease, but Texas caught the turnover bug in the second half and I think ran like 10 plays in the third quarter and into the beginning of the fourth quarter before they finally got their offense on the field because they kept fumbling the ball away in Washington behind a masterful performance from Michael Penix Jr. Um, it was just a, an explosive game. He, he passed 
for 430 yards, uh, 31 rushing yards, and had two touchdowns, the second most passing yards in semi-history uh, behind Joe Burrow, who had 493 in the 2019 semifinals. It was just an incredible game. It seemed like Washington was going to the national championship for the last 30 minutes of the game, and then all of a sudden you look up and Texas has the ball somehow with 45 seconds left down two. You have a personal foul call on the punt return that gives them an extra 15 yards of field yep, position that. and some breathing room. Like the, the insanity of the ending of that game um, was something and, and, to and behold. And the drive before that, when Washington kicked the field goal, remember they passed the ball on third down. They could have yep. run it and have Texas called the timeout there. So it was like a couple of plays. And, and there was another drive, Chris, there. earlier in the fourth quarter when they passed Texas like had a, a heartbreaking turnover on the edge of the oh, yeah. Washington red zone. And then Washington mm-hmm. got the ball back um, and threw it three times and only ran like 30 seconds off the clock and gave the ball right back to Texas. So like the t- clock management, listen, I've been a number one proponent of Kalen DeBoer's aggressiveness. And I even tweeted during the game, I would not run it again because yeah. Texas could not stop Washington's passing attack for the entire third quarter. It was like a, it was like a, a chef at Mastro steakhouse filleting, you know, the, the steak in the back room. I understand, you know what they did, but there was a flea ficker, there at the end of the of that drive that was kind of misplaced and weird and they got a little cute there but man i, I let, let's just give washington its flowers here okay you have a team mm-hmm. that ranks i believe 24th uh in their 26 in the 247 sports composite rankings um they're getting heisman like production from a quarterback and i voted for him i wish he would have won after watching this game um i Me think too. he should have won obviously, because I voted for him. But um, it was a masterful performance by a quarterback, but I am in awe of the depth, the talent, the reliability of that skill position group. And I I hope to God that Dylan Johnson, the running back that got injured there at the end of the game, is able to play in the national championship game. Let's hope. But their receivers, I don't know how anybody covers that. I just don't. You know, this game ended up being... Pretty much, I think, what we expected. Texas was able to run the ball. Washington was able to move the ball through the air. And eventually, though, Texas got so far behind that it couldn't keep running the ball. It had to throw the ball and got a couple of breaks at the end to get it close. But, man, Michael Penix, again, 430 yards. He even he, They had a couple kind of design type of runs in there, and you knew Texas was not ready for that because Penix is not a guy that runs. The dimes that this dude was dropping, sideline throws, Back back shoulder catches. He was absolutely at his peak, just like you. That's why I voted for him for my number one Heisman spot, because every time in the biggest games and the biggest moments, that dude made the plays. And you know, they just say sex it. sells, dude. It's just beautiful to watch, too. It's 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 aesthetically it's one pleasing. The, one of the best deep ball throwers we have ever seen, I think, in this sport. It, it, I said that when I saw him play uh, play against Oregon in the regular season, mm-hmm. and you saw it in Vegas at the championship game. And when you're this sitting high up incredible. and you see that ball whistling through the air, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. And I know that he's going to get torn apart for his his age, his injury history, and his unorthodox throwing motion here in the next four months as we. Uh, if you're a psycho like me and watch NFL draft yeah, coverage on the NFL I'm Network. I'm not looking forward to that. I'm uh, not looking but, forward to months of breaking down Michael Penix Jr. and NFL draft stuff. I don't care right now either. It's a national championship. I was b- kind of bothered by everybody who was talking about that, you know? Yeah, uh, I just like am looking at this game and I knew in my gut, and, and listen, we're going to get to the Stars discussion because we have two teams that are going to be playing for a national championship that are ranked outside of the top 12 and I thought that was literally impossible. The group A was eliminated completely uh, when mm-hmm. Alabama lost to yeah Alabama lost to Michigan, and Texas was a group A minus because they're in the top five. Um, yeah. But they lost to Washington. So you've got the number was it fourteen and twenty six or twelve and twenty six? Yep. Remember they were an underdog in this game again. You know th- they were underdogs in the Pac twelve championship game. Everybody thought they were what touchdown underdog to Oregon, even though they beat them and they handled Oregon. They were, I think they opened at like, was it five or six for this game and got down to about three and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was for, for Washington again. So they're undefeated. They're going to the championship. They've been underdogs the last two games. And now here they are playing for the championship. I remember leaving Vegas thinking this Washington team 
with the weapons that it has and a quarterback that delivers with precision repeatedly that they could win the national championship, even if they played Alabama. Like I actually felt that. And it was a bizarre thing because for the 26 team in the, in the two, four, seven sport composite rankings, you know how I feel about that. Um, but also Texas has the same type of weapons and those weapons weren't nearly as effective. I know AD Mitchell had a crucial touchdown catch there as they were trying to make their comeback at the end. And Xavier worthy caught a, I think a 30 yard pass at the beginning of the drive, but not a lot of production in totality um, from the Texas receivers. that I thought could stack up toe to toe with what Washington brought to the table. But now Washington is going into this game, you know, and we're going to get to a playoff or the national championship preview at the end of the show in the last segment. Um, But I don't know who covers that. I don't know if anybody covers that. I made a joke during the game. I don't know if the 2000 Ravens and their prime could have covered that. So as someone who covered a a number of Texas games this year, Mm -hmm. this seemed like of the four playoff teams, Washington seemed like the worst matchup for Texas because the the biggest weakness they had was that secondary. Yeah. And I think when you saw Washington's receivers and what they were able to do, and look, a lot of those plays that Michael Penix made, by the way, it was good coverage. He just made a ridiculous throw. That you have to say about Washington's receivers. No matter what the situation is, they make the play. And I and I think yeah. I tweeted this. Is the ball coming through a tight window? No problem. Catch. Is there great coverage? No problem. Catch. Does the cornerback swipe the ball and tip it into the air? No problem. Catch. Like, he, Penix delivers the ball with precision, Chris. But when the ball arrives, those Receivers and skill position players catch the ball in tough circumstances repeatedly over and over and over again without fail. Now, I think that the thing that is most interesting about that um, is I thought Texas would be able to do the same. And for the most part in the first half, even without production from Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell, they were able to do that. Uh, they they went into the locker room tied 21. I thought it was the most impressive drive of Quinn Ewers' career to go down there and, and cut the the lead and, and tie it up going into the half. But mm-hmm. the production there was, it was never really quite apparent. So um, there are, um, were a ton of explosive plays in this game, 11 total explosives. Um, yeah, just, he, he had, he had, he had completions of 29, 19, 77, 52, 32, 23, 22, plus three run, uh, three or uh, three or four runs of more than 10 yards too. he, Washington, like there's no such thing as a 50, 50 ball with these receivers. Like that's the thing. They're, they're like 75, 20 minimum. You put that ball up and, and you know, Michael Penix is going to put it in a good enough spot. Those receivers are all going to come down with it. They got like, you've got to be breaking some sort of record of like catches and traffic stats. I don't know if like PFF or college football focus or whatever tracks that sort of thing. But as a result of it, even though Washington didn't have to run the ball that much, um, still held the time of possession advantage by almost 13 minutes, 36 minutes and 20 seconds to 23 minutes and 40 seconds. So um, it just was an unbelievable game. And I, I think that you could come back and say, well, this is a terrible matchup for Texas. Um, and it certainly kind of turns out that it, it was. But I think that Texas lost this game, turning it over on offense, not because their defense was poor. And the fact of the matter is, is that Texas shot itself in the foot so many times in the second half there with those turnovers that, uh, you know, they were still in the game with one second left and could have won. So, yeah. you know, that is the name of the game here. You know, you got to play at, at a high level. You can't make crushing mistakes. And these fumbles um, from the running backs were, were tough. And I think that, you know, if you've been listening to the show, I've said pretty regularly that the Jonathan Brooks loss was huge. And you got to remember that these are reserve running backs, true freshman CJ Baxter put one on the turf that didn't have as much experience and weren't, you know, was integral uh, into the plan before he was injured, making these um, these mistakes. So um, I think all the credit goes to Washington. I think this team is built to win, um, and Texas just let it go. So let, let's let's talk about Quinn Ewers. Um, he goes twenty four for forty three, three hundred eighteen yards, and a touchdown. That's seven point four yards per attempt. But at one point, he was like 10 for 20 for like 100 yards. It, he really struggled, especially in that first half. It, the fact that it was tied at halftime 
I was, it didn't feel like it was tied. And it was because Washington had that muffed punt that Texas turned into a touchdown. So therefore it ends up being a, a, a tie game. And Ewers was able to make some plays on the run, but he did not, you know, you and I were both at that big 12 championship game and he was dealing maybe the best game of his career. He really struggled in this game. What, what, what did you make of him? Well, I mean, listen, here's the stat that really matters. Uh, at halftime, A.D. Mitchell had zero targets, and Xavier Worthy had one one target and a reception for seven yards. And Washington's defensive end, Braylon Trice, was all over the field. That guy was a hound. Yeah. Um, if you were watching it, this guy was terrorizing Texas, and it just was a tough go of it. Now, I didn't like watch that game thinking, God, Quinn stinks, or he's having a bad game, or you know, I thought that he showed a lot of poise there at the second half and helping his team get back into it when we thought the game was lost. I don't know if I put this on, on his shoulders, but certainly when you talk about the, listen, we, we talked that this matchup was going to be more entertaining than the Rose Bowl because you have um, two offensive minds with with Kalen DeBoer and Grubbs on one side. You have Sark on the other dialing up these plays. It's like you have to scheme your best players open to get the ball. And, you know, in the second half, the stats were low because they didn't really possess the ball. Again, I think 10 plays and the first quarter and a little, a little under the fourth, you know, that can't happen. But in the first half, it's like, how do you get through that entire um, second half without, or first yeah. half without really targeting? Well, and he got, he almost it looked like for a minute, we thought he was going to come out of the game. He took that hit, fell back on his head, uh, hit the back of his head, and I guess Arch Manning had his helmet on and was warming up, but eventually Quinn Ewers came in and played well after that. I mean, I mean, he did come in and probably play better in the second half than he did in the first half. But yeah, it did at a time when Michael Penix was winning the game for Washington, Quinn Ewers wasn't really winning the game for Texas. It didn't really feel like the offense knew what it wanted to do because they were running the ball. Look, CJ Baxter averaged 7.1 yards per carry. Blue was at 6.6. Even Ewers was at... Uh, uh, 6.8 when he, he had eight carries of his own. So like they were getting some chunk plays, not large plays or long as run was only from a running back. So only 16 yards, but they were consistently getting ahead of the chains and then just couldn't put enough drives together. And then they fell behind by 13 in the fourth quarter and you had to throw the ball more. So, you know, it was for a guy like Quinn Ewers, who was, you know, a perfectly rated recruit. I think this is a game where you kind of want him to go out and win it for you. And he didn't play bad, but he didn't play like Michael Penix. And that was ultimately maybe the difference in the game. Especially yeah. that final drive, by the way. There were two plays in a row where you were supposed to a receiver who's just not even looking for the ball. Very yeah. weird. Yeah, started that off that way. Yeah. yeah. And there was that weird swing pass when they got deep into the red zone, too, that wasted yeah. five seconds. I wasn't really sure what yep. was going on there. Big but play. also, too, a very frantic situation. And I can understand if you're not all like firing on 100% cylinders, though I do believe that if Washington were in that situation, they would have found a way. And I think that's what makes teams great. And, you know, winning a national championship in the sport, um, you know, Alabama and Georgia have been um, so good and dominant at winning national championships. It's brainwashed us into thinking how easy it is. And it's like really incredibly difficult. So, um, you know, kudos to Washington for getting past uh, Texas. I did not see it coming. Somebody just said, rip to your 21 ticket. Uh you know, the hardest part about the 20 to one ticket was that Washington came into the game as an underdog. And if Texas would have led by seven or 10 at any point in that game, I would have been able to get out of there and get a hedge. Um, didn't hedge it because I never got an opportunity. Um, and I was yeah. hoping to get like four to one or five to one during the game. Just didn't happen. So rest in peace to my longhorns. And listen, hey, I still got love for you, Texas. You you, you came through for me and I feel good about um you know, the they're season that they had, yeah. they're heading yeah. in the right direction. I still think that they, sure. honestly, if they would have played a better game against Washington, could have been good enough to win the national championship this year, which I think is a nice segue point um, into the Michigan-Alabama game, Michigan winning Oof. and winning in dramatic fashion. Um, and this is where the stars really kind of, you know, listen, five is where Texas ranks in the um, 247 sport composite in Washington again, is way behind them and um, at 26, so 21 spots. And Alabama was the most talented team in college football recruiting rankings history in terms of total team talent. And Second, uh, they, were slight, they were slightly behind last year, Alabama. Like they last were? Last year was what? Yeah, I looked up today. I don't think today, that's I think true. Last year, Alabama was like 1,016, and then this year was 1,015. 
but it's basically the same thing. Interesting. Oh, I, I thought for sure that they were either way. I'll, I'll, their I'll average player is basically a top 75 player nationally, and they lost right. to a team that isn't anywhere near that, and that has nope. to be reconciled. So let's break down that game, um, and then we'll talk about this. But, you know, Alabama, I thought, got its ass kicked in the first half. Uh, just physically, totally. I thought that Michigan completely dominated defensively. They had first uh, five first-half sacks from five different players in the first half. And, you know, I think that's the most sacks that Michigan has had this season. I think they had five versus UNLV, uh, multiple five-man rushes, twists up front, four-man fronts, uh, defensive line movement, no additional blockers from Bama. They kept running this empty formation that they couldn't block. Um, the snapping was terrible, as we'll talk about, I think, <laughs> quite a bit there towards the end. I think Michigan did a very good job of physically dominating their opponent, which is the number one thing that doesn't happen typically when you have these talent discrepancies, yep. right? So Michigan owns, you know, my kudos and, you know, forever bending over saying sorry because the ability to play the game in which they didn't just win, they physically dominated, I thought. Now, in the second half, Alabama got it rolling, um, you know, had some miscues and stuff with the snaps and, and whatever, but they did get a lead. They were winning 20 to 13. Uh, and then Michigan took the game over, won it, and the game came down to overtime. And you would think, well, how could a game be more exciting that didn't go to overtime in the Sugar Bowl figured it out? But this was, I think this was the best semifinal game in the four-team field history. Um, I just don't think that mm, we have, I, people say last I year, just, but I think this year was better. No, I, I always come back to that uh, Georgia-Oklahoma game in the Rose Bowl that where Georgia made the comeback. It's in the Rose Bowl. But what happened that's in the, the other, what happened the to the other one. game, though? What other game? The other oh, game that year. Best, the, 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 oh, the, the best, best pair day. of semifinals. Yeah. Oh, yes, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, I would yeah, put this yeah. over last year for sure. I, I thought you meant individual game. But yeah, like, so we, we got, a, we got a, a number of comments in the chat that were both people that hate Michigan. Uh, we don't hate Michigan. We just, I think, questioned Michigan and their ability. But uh, to, to win let this me just, game. Just, can I just address this? Yeah, because yeah. it's it's my, yeah. my, my, my thing. You're a, you're I got a lot of this on Twitter. For everybody. You no, do. no, it's not about a Michigan thing. I think it's more of a talent thing. In coming into the season, there have been only three teams in the history of the 247 Sport Composite, which goes back about 20 years, that have won a national championship without having signed a top 10 class in any of the previous, or top five class in any of the previous four years. Uh, two were Clemson, and one was led by Deshaun Watson, and one was led um by Trevor Lawrence and the other one was Auburn before the playoff era and they had Cam Newton. Yes. So, as you look at my point of view as a journalist, I think that it's funny, Chris, because I think fans sometimes think that it's our jobs to prognosticate and never be wrong about the future when really it's our jobs to report about what has already happened while using the information that we have at hand to try to predict the future. If I was 100% perfect at predicting the future, then I would be living in Las Vegas uh, in seven Hills with an infinity pool looking out over the strip and a cigar in my mouth. But that's not our One job. Day. We're not supposed to be perfect. But what we are supposed to do is use the, use the information at hand that we have both in the history and the statistics and what we understand about the game in order to try to make the biggest projection or the best projection that we can. So if you look back at the way that Michigan has assembled their roster the last five years, there is nothing that they have done from a high school recruiting standpoint that makes you feel like they could and should and would win a national championship. It would have been irresponsible for me to, to say that they could because that was wrong. They are doing something this year that has never been done before. They are doing something this year that has never been done before, period. So I don't feel bad about being wrong about somebody doing something incredible. Now, does this mean that moving forward, this is the first year where the 247 sports composite rankings start fading into the history with the transfer portal and all that stuff. Absolutely. That's a discussion that we have to have now. It's a discussion that we have to have in the future. This is the first time, though, that it's happened. So I am here right now. If you're listening, I was wrong. Michigan, I think, is going to win the national championship. And we'll get more into that at the end of the show when we do a, a quick breakdown of the national championship game. What I don't feel bad for is using my expertise in my job and my knowledge of how college football programs and champions have been built over the course of the past 20 years in order to make a prediction that I don't think that Michigan can do that. 
I did not right. think that Michigan was equipped from a athletic standpoint, regardless of how well they develop and how well they do in the transfer portal, to beat Ohio State, win a Big Ten championship game, beat Alabama, and beat another opponent in four consecutive games because no team built like Michigan has ever done it. Now, that said, Michigan has a lot of players that are going to be drafted, and that is a testament to the development and the scouting eye that Jim Harbaugh has, and I would be a complete asshole if I sat here right now and didn't acknowledge that, and and that's the reason why I've been wrong. Now, does that mean this is a sustainable model or that this is the new way that college football is going to work or that recruiting rankings don't matter anymore? Absolutely not. Like I'm never going to go down that road. Um, so but let me Michigan just jump in here. Is, it deserves an applause from me and a and a, and, sure. a and a frank I was wrong. I'm absolutely yeah. willing to say I was wrong. They're doing something I thought was impossible. Yeah. Like I, I so I tweeted the team talent rankings before we came out here and Ari took that as a shot at him. It wasn't really. If I wanted to, <laughs> I would say look at I would say look at three of the last four teams to play for the national championship. It's TCU, Michigan, and Washington. Only one of the only one group A team has taken one of the four slots moving forward. However, that's an interesting TCU. way of looking at it, considering what happened However, in the game last year. But yeah, I gonna, well, I was going to say, well, TCU beat Michigan, who is not they in did. a Group A group, and this year is um, a little bit weird because Washington has a six-year quarterback. Like the 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 extra year guys, it's going to take a number of years for that to filter out. That is also kind of playing a role in all of this, I think, in terms of it not being a normal handful of years in terms of the pool of talent. That is available. There are just older, better quarterbacks that are usually not here, uh, not here by now. Michigan, I had Michigan lower ranked than most people throughout the season simply because I hadn't played anybody. And Michigan fans got really mad at me throughout the year because I had them down at four or five or six or whatever. And I was like, just play Penn State, play Ohio State, and that'll change. And they did, and they won, and it changed. I actually had Washington at number one coming into the postseason, Michigan at two. Here we go. It's going to be Michigan and Washington for what it is. So let's let's talk about this game. I texted I texted our group chat in the first quarter, about halfway through the first quarter, and I said, "I've seen enough. Michigan is winning this game, unless JJ McCarthy makes a couple of boneheaded mistakes." And you replace JJ McCarthy with special teams, and that's pretty much what happened. Michigan was the better team in this game. They dominated. Alabama, the line of scrimmage in that first half in a way that we never see Alabama dominated. And then things got weird. You know, there's a muff punt at the beginning of the game. Uh, Michigan misses a field goal. Uh, they botched the extra point. And, and so you had a, that's like 11 points that added up. And it kept Alabama in this game early when Michigan could have gone up two scores pretty quickly. And perhaps it felt like Michigan should have been there. up by 21 at halftime to me. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's like, maybe that's excessive. But at least by uh, fourteen, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and, and so then, and then Alabama's driving toward the end of the half, and you're like, Alabama might have the lead before halftime here. It was like just weird how Alabama was able to hold on because Michigan was just kept making those killer mistakes that they made last year that cost them against TCU, and it almost cost them in this game to the point where Alabama was up twenty to thirteen late in the game, and Michigan needed to make a drive. So, do we want to start about? Do we want to talk about the end of this game? Because yes, let's talk about the game stuff. first and then we'll get back into the stars national championship discussion. But first, Michigan dominated the first half. But I think the story of this game are is twofold. One, how did Alabama get through this entire season with a center that can't snap <laughs> no the ball properly? I don't Every know how many bad snap snaps there low. were. It felt like there were at least 12 to 15 bad snaps it, in this game every, that affected plays. Right? Every single snap. Milrow was like I got to be ready for where the ball is going to go. And every snap, he, his footwork's off, his timing is off, because he had no idea where that snap was going. It was wild. And I, but, I, I hadn't watched a ton of Alabama this year. I asked, I said, Alabama fans, has this been happening all season? And it was a resounding yes. This has been a problem all year for them. Alabama couldn't block Michigan in the first half. I think a lot of that was about uh, some of the personnel that they were using in, in these empty packages out of the gun. Um, they rarely use 12 man personnel or max protect in the first half. Um, I think in the second half, they had more pass pro with running backs to keep Milrow a lot safe more. back they there. They went a lot so heavier as, sets as they worked, did yes. that Mi- Michigan's defense wasn't quite as dominant. Um, and the, you know, Seth McLaughlin, the, the center's name here, um, you know, I thought played an okay game outside of that during these runs. Um, they changed up their approach, added more production in the second half. 
and produced uh, 170 yards roughly, um, including 111 rushing yards. Chase McClellan got going. Um, you know, Jalen Milrow got going a little bit, and, and Alabama took a lead. And it looked like Alabama was going to to beat Michigan, and everybody was starting up with the Jim Harbaugh choking this game away, and you know people were pretty celebrating. And then JJ McCarthy led Michigan down the field in a drive, and then kept his cool. So we have to talk about JJ McCarthy and Blake Corum because they went went out and won the game. But first, why don't we talk about how it ended, which was this game going to overtime, Michigan going out and scoring first in overtime. Alabama getting to, I think, fourth and goal from the three-yard line. Yeah. Um, and the play call that they had, which was, it looked like a um, quarterback run right up the middle where they were just going to try to bolt. There was some thought process that maybe there was a swing pass that was an option and then a bad snap caused Milrow to panic and go forward. But we have Nick Saban's post-game comment here that makes it feel like the play call was indeed just to run up the middle with Milrow. Tommy just felt like the best thing that we could do uh, was have a quarterback run, uh, which was kind of our two-point play, one of our two-point plays for this game. And the ball was on the three-yard line, which is just like a two-point play. So, But we didn't get it blocked, so it didn't work. We didn't execute it very well, and it didn't work. And they pressured, and we thought they would pressure, uh, but we thought we could gap them and block, block them and make it work, and it didn't. So that was the call. Yeah, yeah. thoughts. It looked so. It looked like the play was for Milrow to cut left because there's a pulling guard, and he lets one of the and he lets one of the the rushers on the ends go around him. But the snap is so bad at the start that Milrow kind of panics, and Alabama's right tackle gets completely blown up on the play, and so it just kind of collapsed on him. I think it was there, like like like. It would have you know, it would have been a bit of an effort, like he couldn't have walked into the end zone. But if he had gotten a clean snap and taken off right away, there's room there to make that jump cut left behind the pulling guard, get into the end zone. From the camera angle we got during the game, it looks like he just took a snap and ran into the pile, which is basically what he did. But obviously that was not the, the play that they dialed up. It just got blown up by Michigan's defense. Yeah. I mean, he made the comment there that that was their two-point conversion play. And it's like, I, I sometimes just like watch Washington and I just feel like that's like the golden standard of like in your bag moments. And yes. I just, I don't know if it's a lack of receiver talent at Alabama to draw these things up or if Michigan's defense was just too swarming. I mean, Will Johnson, the cornerback, especially is one of the best players in college football and, you know, five-star player. Um, I just like, you know, Nick Saban with a month to prepare. We heard a lot in the last month. And listen, if you watched the pregame show with me, I couldn't articulate how or why I thought Michigan would win this game. And they did, you know, but with the, with the game on the line, it seemed like it wasn't what I would have expected from a staff that had a month to prepare. I know it's tough and it's, you know, I don't know. Uh, I didn't hit the the play. I didn't hate the yeah. play because because Milrow running upfield was was your best play. You're not gonna you're not gonna have enough time to hold them back there for a pass. You know Michigan's gonna pressure uh, because they've been getting the pressure. I was thinking like a speed option type of play, and again it was kind of there. It just got got blown up. I didn't hate that play. I did hate Alabama's first half game plan. They were going three four five wide a lot, and Michigan was getting pressure with four guys a lot of the it time. Took too long to adjust to that. Took way too long. They come out in the second half. They immediately go to the heavy sets. The same thing they did against Georgia. They 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 adjusted. They go to the heavy sets, two tight ends, two running backs type of stuff. They start moving the ball. And then sometimes they get out of it and they start passing. There, there's a drive where Alabama, instead of running, they're doing some, some quick option dump off passes. And it's just like, it, or they're getting Miller on the outside when he's much more effective running between the tackles. Lane Kiffin even tweeted that during the game. So I just, I thought Tommy Rees... Did not call a good game. It took him way too long to adjust. He did make the right adjustments, but it took very, very long to get there. And look, it's hard when your offensive line is getting blown up every other play. There's only so much you can do. But there was clearly something that was working for Alabama and something that was not. And they were consistently not sticking with the thing that was working. Um, although, again, in overtime, I didn't. I, I thought the call was okay. It just It just didn't work, and sometimes that happens. 
Let's talk about Michigan because they won and they deserve that. Well, actually, before the before the can we since we're talking about the end of the game, Homer, can we talk about the, the can we talk about the muff punt at the end of the game, at the end of regulation? Sure. You want yeah. to talk about you want you want to talk about one of the most demoralizing losses in the history of college football that Washington almost had. What would have losing in the semifinal on a safety with like ten seconds to go? Did you think that, that was that a safety ranked? when you first watched the play? No, because you could see he got, you could see he picked it up outside the end zone. He got tackled into the end zone, but you knew he picked it up in the field at like the one yard line. But holy crap, Michigan's punt returning in this game was so bad. They muffed the first, they muffed like the first one. Uh, They had some inexperienced returners back there. They were constantly fair catching or not catching certain things. It cost them a lot of yards in this game that was helping Alabama. And you're the guy who's always tweeting about Heels on the 10, man. Why is that dude fielding that punt at the five-yard well, line? Th- we have like to talk about this for at least game. a minute with the heels on the 10 thing. So the heels <laughs> on the 10 thing is just dead. Like, Apparently. nobody does that anymore. Like, no teams in any situation do it. And my understanding is that that rule died because punters got better at executing kicks with higher hang time and gunners got faster to the point where they were able to get behind the return man and set up before the ball lands in a way that they couldn't do 20 years ago. So the thought process is if you fair catch it at the five, it's better than letting the defenders who are standing behind you fair catch it or do something worse and pin you deeper. That said, I'm always of the thought process that if your heels are on the 10, it at least forces the other team to make a play, whereas fair catching yeah. it at the five Do the resigns trick, yeah. to terrible field position. But in that scenario, I don't even know why there's a return man back there at all. You're not running offense. Get out of the way. Like, what are you? Tr- I mean, I guess you're trying yes. to stop it from getting pinned at the one so you don't get a safety that loses the game. But like, that was insane. Um, and yeah. luckily for Michigan, that didn't end up, you know, hurting them. So um, that said, Overall thought process was that I thought that Michigan was the better football team in this game. Um, yep. They looked every bit as athletic. They hit harder. Uh, they they did everything that I would question a team cannot do physically as a result of talent discrepancy um, that are found in these spreadsheets that I like to refer to very often. Um, that said, I've also had a take in the past that I don't know that J.J. McCarthy is that dude. Okay, I've said right. that. I think he's a very good college player. I Me don't too. think that he deserves or deserved to be in the same sentence as guys like Michael Penix or Drake May or Caleb Williams or the playmakers that Cam Newton likes to say, game manager versus, you see that? Game manager versus playmaker, that whole controversy. I would have put him more in Cam Newton's game manager mode. But in Me this too. game, J.J. McCarthy was in a position where a bad quarterback or a weak quarterback or a not elite quarterback would have faltered it. Down in the fourth quarter to Alabama by seven, I think Alabama had the ball two times down or up seven with a chance to go up and just end the game, and Michigan's defense stepped up. But he had 246 total yards, three passing touchdowns, and a 62% completion rating. Um, He had multiple... um, Difference-making plays, um, including a third-down run that set up a fourth-and-one conversion by Blake Corum on the first scoring drive. Um, Off-schedule throw um, in the first quarter for a 19-yard gain while rolling left. A broken gadget play where McCarthy threw off his back foot um, after Roman Wilson threw it to that him. Was that, set up a th- that was crazy. The best play. catch in the game was J.J. McCarthy like jumping up 10 yards behind that, the line of scrimmage and one-hand jump-manning it. That's a backwards pass. If he doesn't backwards catch pass, that, that's a fumble. That's a fumble, and either either it's a big loss or Alabama gets the ball. Huge athletic play. So I'm in this weird position now where you have to acknowledge that J.J. McCarthy won his team a game on a stage in which we thought he could not do it or hasn't done it in the past, okay? But on the other hand, did you think that he played well enough to elevate him to that category, which is Heisman Trophy finalist next year, if he comes back or in that discussion with the playoff quarterbacks and the Heisman finalists that were in that award this year, like is he, has he elevated himself in your mind? Remember, because this is going to be a big discussion next week. He, he finished 10th in the Heisman and got a first place vote. And we were blown away by that. Um, look, he, 
he played well and he made the winning plays and he didn't cost them the game. A year ago against TCU, he cost them the game because of two pick sixes. And you, you know, his final numbers here are he goes 17 for 27, uh, 221 yards, three touchdowns, uh, 8.2 yards per rush. He also uh, 8.2 yards per pass. He also had 25 yards rushing, 8.3 yards per rush. But like, you know, a lot I saw a lot of people like, look, that game, that tying touchdown at, at the end of regulation, that's a legacy drive for JJ McCarthy. Okay, but here's what JJ McCarthy did. And they went down with ease. Drive. We got to talk about it, dude. They did, but he, well, well, hold yeah. on. Here's what here's what JJ McCarthy did on that drive. Uh Blake Corum run, Blake Corum run. McCarthy incomplete pass on third and two. Then McCarthy tosses it out to a wide open Blake Corum for 27 yards. McCarthy runs for 16 yards. On fourth down. Then no, the run was on first down. The the, no, the, the fourth down Corum, swing pass. To Corum, yes, was on fourth down. Um, and, and then he had the one pass that was kind of tipped up, and Roman Wilson made a heck of a catch on that. So he completed two passes on the drive, both of them for more than 25 yards, although one was just a dump off, and he ran for 16 yards. So, like, it was a solid job. He made the plays he needed to play, but it wasn't like McCarthy boom, 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 taking him down the field and stuff like that. It was a lot of uh, Blake Corum making some good runs and runs after the catch and stuff like that. So, like, J.J. McCarthy played well enough to win the game. I wouldn't say he won them the game. I wouldn't say any one. I'd say Michigan's offensive line won them the game more than anything else, but he did what he needed to do. He was the better quarterback in this game by far, uh, and he's about to play for a national championship. Jim Harbaugh said after the game, he's the greatest quarterback in, in Michigan history. You know, we can debate that, but I don't know. Like The guy wins, and maybe that's all that matters in the end. Yeah, I don't know if you always have to decide who won you the game. I mean, if I had to give anybody the trophy for winning the game, it would be Michigan's offensive line. Although Blake Corum did rush for 83 yards, had 35 or clutch receiving yards and two touchdowns, including the game winner in overtime. Line defensive line, too. I mean, Michigan, here's the thing that I'll say about Michigan. Before the game, in my analysis of how I thought it would go, because listen, the line was weird. I didn't understand why Michigan was favored all week. Uh, or all month, excuse me. I thought the line was going to move in the opposite direction. It actually closed with Michigan minus two and a half, um, which, you know, considering where the action was, it was strange. So from that standpoint, I kind of had this feeling that Michigan was going to win in my gut. But in my head, the analysis was not there. I thought that that meant that Jalen Milrow would turn the ball over a ton, um, that, you know, Alabama would be muffing punts and doing the bull crap with the snap and all that. And really, if you go back and look, Michigan didn't play that clean of a game either, and they still won. You know, I would have thought that Michigan would have had to play the thing that we, um, you know, always say about Michigan, which is flawless execution, knowing who they are, trusting in their system, yeah. and and making plays and not making terrible mistakes. We're talking about a team that didn't give up long runs and didn't turn the ball over and came out in the first quarter. The first play of the game could have been an interception. It looked like it was going to be one. They muffed a punt. They gave up a long run for a touchdown on. Uh, Alabama's first drive or second drive, like they were doing all the things that they did not do to get to this stage. Um, and they still won. So like when you talk about who was the better team, like anybody who looks you square in the eyes and says that Alabama was the better football team on Saturday, sorry, Monday, um, is a liar. That's not true. Michigan was the better no. team. Totally. Completely. I said in our big preview episode a week ago that I've always wondered if JJ McCarthy is a guy who like ends up having a really good, NFL career and puts up numbers and we all say where was that in college because they just yeah don't ask him they just don't ask him to do a ton you know and so it's kind of hard to just it's kind of hard to get a read on it they didn't ask him to do a ton here but what they did ask him to do he did well and that was enough to win them the game and again you if know not for a if not for a bevy of special teams mistakes they win this game probably in regulation, if not by multiple, yeah. if not if not by multiple scores. Well, here's the thing, and I think we got to talk about Jim Harbaugh for a few minutes, and then we're going to get into the national championship preview uh, and discuss next week for a little bit. And and guys, if you're here with us, uh, this is a after midnight reaction. We are going to be talking about this game incessantly. Chris and I are both going to the national championship game. There's going to be plenty of coverage breaking down next week's game, but we wanted to dip our toes into the waters a little bit first, though. Jim Harbaugh and what he has done the last three years. Pretty remarkable, right? 
And I know there are people out there that, you know, are saying that I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. All I want to talk about is what Michigan and Harbaugh have done. Um, I've been watching a lot of Fargo. Have you noticed? Cause like I start a thought and then don't finish the sentence, but you know what I was going to say? <laughs> have you watched Fargo? Oh, geez. Oh, for I've watched, sake. I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't watch it consistently, but yes, it's the best t- show on television. You should watch it. Yeah, dude, got the monkey off his back. Like he was one in six in bowl games coming in, lost six straight bowl games, was 0-2 in the semifinals. And I said, like, look, if he loses this game, we're going to talk about him like Lincoln Riley, the guy who can get you there and can't get you over the hump. And he did it. Look, like plain and simple. They had the better team and everything he said that they would be able to do, running the ball, winning in the trenches, they did. It's crazy to look back at that 2020 season, the last time Alabama won a championship. And that Michigan-Ohio State game gets canceled because of COVID. And Jim Harbaugh is on the verge of getting fired. If that game happens and they lose that game, it's possible he does get fired. Listen, Chris, then. that Michigan team tapped out and gave up. Yeah. Like, so like, like, yeah, it was he, bad and, there. He, oh, he, oh, he completely overhauls the stat, brings in a ton of young guys. And since then, it's been... Three straight college football playoff appearances, three straight Ohio State wins, three straight Big Ten championships. And it's it's remarkable. And, you know, yeah, does he go to the NFL after this? I don't know. Nobody really knows with him. But uh, he needed this in a big, big way because now nobody can say, hey, they they choke in the big one. You know, they beat Alabama in the semifinal in the Rose Bowl. Like, we're like none of that other stuff now. Like he, he did it. Like, I don't want to say Michigan's playing with house money here. It'll, it'll still be a disappointment, a major disappointment. I think if they don't win, but we will, if Jim Harbaugh continues at Michigan, uh, regardless of what happens in the championship game, we will talk about him differently now than we have of the last two years. How many coaches have the, coached the previous six years in a national championship game and a Super Bowl? Like, is that like, is he, well, is there other ones? Pete, Pete Carroll did. Um, yeah. did the BCS. He won, he won both. Um, Jimmy Johnson won both, but they didn't have a national championship game back then. Barry yeah. Switzer, Barry switch Switzer also did both, but again, not a national championship game back then. So at least three, uh, that I saw have won a national championship and a super bowl Won both Harbaugh didn't win a super bowl, but yes, to, to get to both, is a remarkable uh, accomplishment. And I think that we know that Jim Harbaugh, um, his legacy is going to be complicated. And I don't know when that legacy at Michigan is going to end. It could be in uh, three weeks or it could be in 20 years. Like, I don't know. Um, But he is an interesting person. Uh, He has been suspended twice this year for two different things. And I don't know how many other coaches have done that while also being the most beloved coach that has complete and utter support from his university president and fan base and team. Um, and they're winning. And I guess as you win, we're not talking about the stuff that we were talking about in November. And I, I will say, so. I will say, so, yeah, I, I don't think Pete Carroll, Jimmy Johnson, or Barry Switzer sued their conference, uh, in the same year that they played for a national championship. So that is new, new territory for sure. But, um, yeah, man, like that dude is, is Michigan to a T. He always has been, he gets it done. And I don't like, we haven't even said it like I'm I hope we're done with the Connor Stallions sign stealing stuff now. Like, yes, the investigation is going on. Yes, there will be some NCAA penalties, what have you. But I think we can now for sure officially say like they weren't winning games because of Connor Stallions. You know, like they just beat Alabama. Connor Stallions was not on the sideline. You know, like Michigan is legit. You can still be upset about it. You can still think they need to be penalized for it. But this this notion that was around that, oh, Michigan suddenly got good because Connor Stallions joined the staff. And like, no, this is a really good team full of NFL players. And that's what they proved in this game. Yeah. Somebody sent me um, a tweet in this during the game about uh, Senior Bowl potential numbers here. And this is Jim Nagy uh, from the Senior Bowl. He is the director of the bowl that had. Uh, and NFL draft analysts breaking down players that are going to be playing in this game and how many you know draft eligible prospects they have and stuff. Um, Alabama has nine total draft picks. Michigan has fourteen. Uh, Hookem, Texas Longhorns have eleven, and Washington has ten. 
So Michigan going into the game, despite being one of the bottom two in the 247 sport composite ranking, also has the most draftable players, which is what the story that Bruce Feldman wrote at the beginning of the year saying Michigan can do it for this reason. Now, I think mm-hmm. there should be a distinction about what day you're picked on. And day one, Alabama has three and Michigan had one. Day two, Alabama has three um, and Michigan has five. Those are projections, but I think they're telling that Michigan still was able to do that. So um, this is an interesting thing, too, that we have to say about Alabama. I think kudos to Nick Saban for what he was able to do this year. I think that this team was inherently flawed from the beginning, and they were able to rise up and get to this point despite the fact that it seemed almost dysfunctional earlier in the year. Um, And this is the first three-year period since 2006 to 2008 that uh, Alabama has not won a national championship. So Yeah, that that is crazy. Every three-year player under Nick Saban at Alabama mm -hmm. has won a national championship. (laughs) That that is is nuts. Yeah. And now, if you go down un- into un- the un- anal- until this until this year, this is the first three year class that won't have done it. If you start having fun with like crazy Nick Saban statistics, you start going down that rabbit hole. There are a lot that make you feel like, holy crap, this guy cannot be topped. Um, yeah. And you know, at a certain point, that has to stop. And for the time being, it has. I don't know that I think this is the end of it. I think that we have to have more Jalen Railroad discussion. You know, this podcast can't go on for three hours, but I do think that. Um, there might be a little bit of a discussion of like, is he the guy um, or did he get exposed? Like, if you think about it, my buddy Bill Landis tweeted or texted me this during the game, used to host a podcast with him. But Landis uh, said this, and I thought it was true. Every single Alabama flaw was laid to bear today. Offensive line got worked. Jalen Milrose issues um, about not being able just to chuck it deep all day and Tommy Reese having issues or that reputation all kind of came into pass. Uh, And I think that's true. Like all the things that we talked about in terms of what Alabama was struggling with at the beginning of the year, got exposed by a Michigan team that is programmed to expose your flaws. Um, And I think this is a very good opportunity for us now to go to the next part of this. Real real quick, real quick, real quick. I just want to end on that. We'll get, we'll get into this more in the off season for sure, but there is, there's something to be looked at here to get back to what we started this episode with, which is Alabama has had the two most talented rosters in the history of the 24 seven team talent rankings, the recruiting rankings, the last two years, neither of those teams will have played for a national championship. And both teams have been incredibly flawed, especially at the skilled position. Something needs to be done about that. And remember Ryan Grubb, the Washington offensive coordinator, turned down the Alabama offensive coordinator job in the offseason. Mm-hmm. And if that had not happened, this may be a totally different national championship game. That decision is one reason why Washington will be playing for the title, and I think Alabama is not. Well, also, too, Grubb has better players. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they won the Joe Moore Award, the offensive line. They've got better receivers, and their quarterback's better. And I think that the running backs are washes. I mean, when you really think about it from that perspective, Washington, the number 26 overall team in the 247 sport composite, has better players than Alabama on offense. I hate Mm -hmm. to say it, but it's true. And I think that the thing that is interesting about the Michigan-Alabama game, which I think is going to play a huge role next week, is that neither Michigan or Alabama have top-tier skill position talent, right? Is that a fair thing to say Um, in terms of receivers that will – drive the defensive coordinator nuts. They have efficient players, mm-hmm. but they don't have game break. They don't have Romo Dunze, okay? Right, yes. You're you're, you're kind of giving me that look like you think I'm crazy. I, I just don't think that they have the game breakers. Um, and Mi- Michigan, I guess you can say, you know, Roman Wilson's a very good player, but Alabama, especially Isaiah Bond played well towards the end of the year, but they didn't have that Jalen Waddle type player. And also the Michigan situation i mean they win their own way alabama is the program that signed the greatest recruiting class of wide receivers in the history of recruiting i mean you remember the jalen waddle um Mm -hmm. class with henry ruggs and Devontae smith like all those guys came in the same year um so it's going to be this uh offense that cannot be stopped by anybody with incredible receivers an incredible quarterback hopefully a healthy running back and a great offensive line Going against a team that is experienced, plays very hard, hits you hard, executes, and wins in every moment. Who do you like 
coming right out of the gate here. I I don't know if I can make a pick yet, but I love that this is a clash of matchup styles. These are two very different teams. And, mm-hmm. and style clashes make for very fun games. And I think I think Michigan is four and a half point favorite. Is that right? I think yes, on the open yes. line. Open line here. Michigan minus four and a half brought to you by Bet MGM. Yes. And so it is I, I think that feels about right. Um, I think Michigan look, look, Texas ran for more than six yards per carry on Washington in this game. Like Michigan's gonna run the ball with Blake Corum. I think they're gonna run the ball pretty well. I also think Michael Panix is gonna have enough time to throw deep balls and complete them. And like also like He Penix also looked completely this- and utterly unbothered by a Texas pass exactly, rush the entire game. Exactly. Right. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Jalen Milro, when there was pressure in his face. He crumbled. He crumbled in that game. Penix was so calm and unbothered back there and was just shifty enough a couple of times either to get out of the way or to break off a run that a couple of times Texas players got to Penix and like waited a second because they were waiting for him to move and do something. So yeah, Michigan's going to get pressure in this game, but is Michael Penix going to be able to make enough moves and get the plays down the field? And then the big question, I, I think obviously the huge question going into this game, is Dylan Johnson's health. That's Washington's number one running back. Kalen DeBoer said after the game that it was a re-aggravation of an injury suffered late in the year. So we'll see. But if if Washington suddenly doesn't have its number one running back in that game, that is absolutely huge. But I think Michigan four and a half feels about right in terms of where you're setting the line. I think it's very easy to start going down into the realm of I don't think that Michigan will be able to keep up with a shootout. I don't know that Michigan will be able to keep up with what Washington brings to the table offensively. And then I just realized that I'm done picking against Michigan. Like, I think that, like, I firmly believe Mm -hmm. that Michigan's going to win the national championship this year. Um, They just seem to have it all together. And I know Washington has been an underdog in every game and, you know, they keep proving everyone wrong and, it's a compelling storyline, but how do you pick against Michigan right now? I just I don't know how you way, do it. I think Michael Penix is, is the way you do that. Not to say that Washington's going to put up 45 points in this game. Cause I think Michigan will be able to run the ball again and will be able to slow that down a bit. Um, but I just, I, I just wonder like if Washington like gets up like 14, nothing real quick, for whatever reason, if Michigan comes out slow like they did in the game today, can they crawl back? Do they have an offense that can come back? Because I think Texas didn't quite have that. Texas fell behind, and they had a real tough time being able to come back. It took some lucky breaks at the end in order for them to get there. And if if Washington is able to go up two scores quickly or, or in the end of the first quarter or something, does Michigan have what it takes to come back. Will they put the game on JJ McCarthy's arm and ask him to win the game, which hasn't happened yet. So I th- I think Washington can absolutely, absolutely win this game. I mean, like y- you're done doubting Michigan. I-, I feel the same about Washington though. I feel like we're, we're done doubting Washington. Yeah. They've won what 10 or 11 straight games by a single score, but they bullied Washington. They bullied Oregon. They bullied uh, Texas here. Um, I don't know. Like it's it's hard to bet against both of these teams. I, this is why it feels like the right national championship game. By the way, like two undefeated teams. These two teams defined the season. Penix was the most important player in the most important games. Michigan had all the controversy around it. It was a team we talked about all year. These are the two biggest stories of the season meeting in the championship game, and I think that's great. Michigan holds an eight and five all-time series edge against Washington. They've met four times in the postseason, all of them in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Washington won the 1977 and 1991 games. Um, 1991 was to share a piece of the national championship, and Michigan won in 1980 and 1992. Um, if you're a history person, we got that from Matt Brown, who knows more about college yeah, football history. Ubbin's Ub, not on this podcast, and we didn't even talk about it, but we respect the Rose Bowl here. Both of yes. us on this podcast. Yes. You you have the role. You've got the Rose Bowl hat on. I wore it for uh, I, a reason. I'm a, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the Should game I throw as well. This We're bad not going to hunt or what? 
I've got that too. The, the cotton. We just got the get the, the game the that we covered. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, no slander from up in here about the Rose Bowl. But yeah, Michigan Washington. I wish this championship game was at the Rose Bowl. I know you and I are going to be driving down to Houston for it, and it'll be an easy way to get. We could have driven to L.A. It, it, this it would you have gone on a road like, trip with me to L.A.? Oh, of course, of course. It it just feels like this game should be at the Rose Bowl, you know, like Michigan Washington Championship. Yeah, like, or Indy, or or Indy. This I is guess. a Big Ten, I, 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 Big Ten national championship. Let's my, not forget. My my long time belief has been that the national that the national championship game should be at the Rose Bowl every year. Doesn't that be I'm January first? But it, it it is the one setting in college football outside of like home stadiums that feels special, you know, mm-hmm. the sugar bowl, the peach bowl, the cotton bowl, they all feel the same. They're just, they're in these sterile NFL stadiums. The Rose bowl feels different. And I know there's certain people who don't get it or hate it, or they're upset that, that they were against the playoff, that they delayed expansion of the playoff, what have you like, that's fine. But like, it's one of the things that is quintessential college football. And at a time when college football is kind of losing that feeling of being college football, the Rose Bowl just is just it's college football, man. And that's what this Michigan Alabama game was. Everything about it was everything we love about college football. And that's just why I think whatever happens in this 12 team playoff, that setting needs to continue to feel when you're special. watching the Rose Bowl, you don't think about NIL. You don't think about rule changes. You don't think about the transfer portal. You don't think about anything. You think about college football. I thought that the day was the quintessential celebration of the sport that we love. I thought the games were Mm -hmm. great. I thought they were compelling. They were interesting. They had us at the edge of our seat. I was sweating at the end of the Sugar Bowl. And you have four teams that theoretically could have won a national championship this year. You're down to two that will fight for it. And we don't know who's going to win. We have experience versus experience. I think that... Michigan had uh, like thousands more combined snaps from the, their starters than Alabama did coming into it, and the experience outweighed the freaks. Um, Washington's also a very experienced team with a homegrown offensive line that we like very much. We have a, sh- a really interesting offensive coordinator battle coming up next week between Sharon Moore and Grubb. Uh, Michigan's secondary is going to be much better and a much stern test, I think, than Texas's was for Michael Penix next week. But also Michael Penix, I think, should have won the Heisman. is incredible. How healthy is Dylan Johnson going to be? And, of course, Blake Corum versus Washington's front. Uh, that allowed 180 yards of rushing to Texas on Monday night. So this is going to be a hell of a game. A lot of stories. I've got some columns to write from Houston about talent. If you're interested in how I feel about this, I'm going to write a column, um, talk to Michigan players and coaches about this, and try to quantify how they were able to do this. I really appreciate you, Chris, for joining me at 115 Central. And I certainly appreciate everybody here for coming by. Um, I thought this was an incredible day. We we love college football. College football is great. As, as much as there's so much going on in the sport that has been frustrating, lawsuits, realignments, everything that you're kind of annoyed with, today was a great reminder of why we love this sport, why we do these jobs that we do. And here's to hoping we have a great national championship game and getting the rare trifecta usually we have one or two absolute duds i think we have a real chance to have three really good games in 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 the final 14 playoff well there were a lot of people in here i think i saw like 650 people watching simultaneously we really 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 appreciate you if you are watching this on the youtube channel and you are not subscribed please do so we are going live all the time And we will have you covered with all the college football stories, news, recruiting, everything that you need on this channel moving forward through the rest of the year. Um, If you're listening to this in podcast form, I suggest that you also seek out the YouTube channel and subscribe to it as there's bonus content on there. If you are not a podcast subscriber and you're listening to us on YouTube and you like listening to podcasts in the car, I urge you to go find the Until Saturday feed um, in the podcast feed wherever you guys listen to your podcasts. You'll find it. Um, The links can be found in both shows' descriptions. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we will have Sunday Sound Off shows moving forward every Sunday into the offseason. But we certainly are going to try to get this in voicemails this week because we weren't able to do so the last few weeks with all the stuff going on. If you're interested in calling and leaving a voicemail to be included onto the show, please call 316-462-9852. 
Again, that is 316-462-9852. Sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter where you get your daily fill of college football from The Athletic delivered right to your inbox. You do not have to be subscribed to The Athletic to get our stuff, um, but certainly think that when you read that newsletter or if you are a college football fan, you would be very happy with your decision to 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 subscribe to that because we have a lot of really good writers and we cover the sport, I think, unlike anybody else in college football. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining me. Uh, Thank you all for being here. I'm Ari Wasserman. That's Chris Vanini. That was the latest edition of Until Saturday. We will catch you guys this week.